0: Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Welcome
1: to the Clerical Heirs Podcast. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. Sit down and enjoy us. If you have a beverage of your own, please share it.
2: Share it? Why is it always <laughs> a beginning that screws me up? <laughs> Berg, you're going to start it this time. <laughs> yeah, you started this time. Okay, um... Uh... Is there a script? or? There's an idea. Hi, welcome. This is uh, the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Berg. I'm Bullhagen. And now it's time for the show. Sit back, uh, listen to some theology with us, and get your drink on. Uh, Tell us on Facebook what you're drinking, uh, Instagram, and the like. So today we are drinking something from Decadent uh, Brewery. And it is called a strawberry French toast something or other. Oh. So um, this is actually supposed to be uh, an alcoholic beverage. It doesn't look like it, but we're going to give it a try. All right.
1: So uh, we've had all sorts of different things that we've tried. I don't have a lot of high hopes for this one. I'm not a sweet guy. I don't like sweet stuff
2: so much but uh, it's got a nice color. It looks more almost like an IPA. It's interesting, so. All right. To here your we health. It. Oh, it starts off good, it finishes bad. What is that finish? Are you tasting like any of the things that it said that it was? It tastes like I was drinking beer and I burped up oatmeal. That is an apt, <laughs> yeah, that is an
1: apt comparison. So, if you are drinking beer and burping an oatmeal, <laughs> we are the podcast for you. For you, <laughs> and uh, we want you to part of, be part of this special uh, atmosphere. So, uh, let us know what you're having. Sit back and relax. So, as I uh, try and get down this next sit,
2: uh, uh, Berg, what are you preaching on? Well, Lent is coming up. It's not too far away, and so uh, I'm looking forward to Ash Wednesday and Matthew six where uh, Jesus talks about fasting and where he talks about laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. And so my sermon is primarily, oftentimes we think of Lent as a time where we give stuff up, Mm -hmm. that you uh, give up chocolate or you give up pop or you give up this or you give up that. Um, My whole point is that, no, Lent is a time where we actually gain treasure. We actually gain the things that God has to give us. Uh, During this time, we often intensify our studies and our devotions, Uh, and there's a lot of stuff online that you can read. You can go to uh, a couple different uh, Facebook groups, and uh, there's a 40-day Book of Concord read-through, for example, which is really cool. There's Steadfast Lutherans just put out a Lenten devotional, and all of these things are really good in order to uh, deepen our faith and understanding of what our Savior has given us. So what are you preaching on? Well, I'm going to preach on the Old Testament. Joel? Joel. Nice. Rend your hearts and
1: not your garments. And and my focus is going to be the, uh, and and actually talked to Vicar about this with his sermon, where it says, uh, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Okay. In the sense that, you know, there's an urgency to this text. hmm And there's an urgency. Well, for Joel, disaster was coming. Right. But... Uh, there's an urgency in the sense that we always think, oh, there'll be time to deal with this later. Right. But, uh, you know, when you're gathered, uh, in the, the house of God, you know, he's there, mm-hmm. you know, he's there and you know, he hears you. So, so why not repent? And what a gracious, loving God we have that hears, uh, our sorrow over our sin. And hears our desire to change. And he hears with his forgiveness and his salvation. So, a lot of things we tend to put off, and we say, well, I'll worry about that or I'll deal with that later. But really, in the text for Joel, um, the time is really now. There's, there's no reason that should keep you from from uh, bringing your sins and your shame and your guilt to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he hears you. He feeds you his body and blood. And uh, uh, the time is now, And that's part of what Lent is as you grow. You know, you address those things, wouldn't you say, Berg?
2: Yeah, I completely agree. There's an old hymn that uh, kind of encapsulates what you're uh, trying to accomplish here. Uh, Delay not, delay not, O sinner draw near. The fountains of life are now flowing for thee. No price is demanded. The Savior is here. Redemption is purchased. Salvation is free. Some of the other stanzas go something like that. Delay not, delay not, the hour is at hand. The earth Mm -hmm. shall dissolve and the heavens shall fade. The dead, small and great, and the judgment shall stand. What power then, O sinner, can lend thee its aid? And that's got a very uh, haunting melody too. Delay not, delay not. Mm -hmm. It is. it's, It's a fantastic hymn that reminds us that the time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's now because these things, we might die jesus might come again or like amos 6 says there might actually be a famine of the word in this land that's right that we might run someday looking for god's word and we won't be able to find it that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast because we see something like that going on in our own country but don't you think that's what we always do you know if we have a to-do list what's the first thing that gets done hearing god's word
1: no the easy stuff
2: oh okay Mm-hmm.
1: You know the the stuff that uh, you know uh, the, the conversation that you really don't want to have with someone is the one you're least likely to have. <laughs> yeah and and I think this is a part of that too. Mm-hmm. We, we always find things in our minds that are more important to deal with than than these things. And uh, you know, in Joel's day, they'd rather not fast. They'd rather not repent, but uh, there are a lot of easier things to do. And to deal with and to consider than our own sins, but at the end of the day, uh, we have God's graciousness that calls us to know that He hears us, He loves us, He responds with grace and mercy. And I think that's a beautiful way to start Lent. I think sometimes people think of Lent as or Ash Wednesday just walling or wallowing around in our misery, but there there's really hope in there. Mm-hmm. There's hope that you know from the ashes, God springs forth life. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, that brings us to our next top 12. Now, uh, the top 12 list has run the gamut of things, hasn't it?
2: Yeah. What's been your favorite so far? Oh, <laughs> I'm kind of torn between uh, the uh, podcast names and uh, the fa- the biblical fantasy football team. I, <laughs> that one was pretty creative. <laughs> All right. Well, this, this one is uh,
1: one that I think is more uh, helpful. The kind that lets you a little bit more to see behind the collar. And uh, I'll let you know what that is as soon as Peter does what? Play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Today's Top 12 list is ways to help your pastor sleep better at night. You know, I could always use that. I'm not a very good sleeper. Me neither. I Maybe it's an age thing, but uh, I, I, I uh, am not a very good sleeper at all and, uh, my mind wanders, I get restless and, uh, sometimes have trouble sleeping. So, um, so this is 12 ways to help your pastor sleep at night. And what I mean by this is, is, uh, what kind of things do pastors worry about?
2: People's souls.
1: Yeah. I mean, we worry about these things and we have in many different ways. And so, so, uh, these are 12 ways that, uh, you can do to help your pastor sleep better at night. Number twelve. Understand that we do actually lose sleep over you.
2: <laughs> that's a that's a good starting one, right?
1: I think sometimes people don't realize this that uh, that uh, um, we think about you, we pray for you, we worry about you, um, and uh, you know when we lose sleep, a lot of times we're thinking of. Either you or our family, and it's real, isn't it? It is. It's very real, and uh, and so uh, I think just being aware of that, uh, your pastor really does care for your soul, and uh, and uh, really is a good way to start because I think people sometimes think pastor has an ulterior motive or
2: or he likes to get into fights or kick people out of the church or a number of different other things, you know. Yeah. Number
1: 11, invite friends, family, and neighbor to church. That's a good one, yep. You know, I tell the people here that uh, people wonder, how do I share who Jesus is with these people? And it's good to have some answers, but I remind them that every time you come to church, where I'm a pastor and where you're a pastor, Mm -hmm. they are going to hear the word of God and the gospel
2: and what Jesus' death means every single Sunday. Right. Right. It's like when uh, Peter has questions about who Jesus is before he's kind of brought into the fold and his brother, Andrew says, come and see. Yeah. Sometimes that's the best thing to say, come and see, come to church.
1: And and along that note, as I want to mention about this top 12 list is um, one thing I can say is my own congregation where I serve, they're pretty good at these. And I'm pretty blessed um, as a vicarage supervisor. I, I, I hear a lot from former vicars too, and and I've kind of learned what's helpful for them along the way. And so, so this isn't just me coming out of these out of the the thin air just for me. But I, I've talked to quite a few people about um, the kinds of things that they that pastors worry about and are concerned about. So I wanted to mention that. That brings us to number ten. Number ten. Speak well of him and put the best construction on everything. Yep. Good old Eighth Commandment. And uh, because uh, putting the best construction on things really, one, helps you, uh, the uh, the, uh, the person uh, sitting in the pews, but it also it has a snowball effect. You know, if people are, don't understand and they assume the worst or they think that pastor has an ulterior motive, and then that gets shared and grows suspicion, and then people wonder, why isn't the church growing on all those things when— they're not talking well about the pastor. That has an effect on whether people want to actually come to that church or not. Mm-hmm. Any other comments on that?
2: Yeah, just be generous, you know. And if you don't understand something, ask. Every pastor should be open to uh, explaining himself on why he said what he said and what he and why he did what he did. Yeah. Number nine.
1: Be joyful and dedicated about Sunday school and Vacation Bible Study,
2: VBS. Good. I know that where I grew up, uh, unfortunately some of these programs have died now, but I grew up with a Wednesday school as well. And mm-hmm. we went from third grade all the way through eighth grade, and we learned uh, Lutheran Reformation history. We learned hymns. Um, uh, we uh, So basically in Sunday school we went through the catechism, but in Wednesday school we learned even more. And those teachers that helped me out um, and taught me uh, gave me something that I'm now giving to others. Do you think you would have been a pastor without those Sunday school teachers? Probably, I just wouldn't be as good a one. that's for sure. okay, so and uh, you know, sometimes I know
1: Sunday school takes a lot of work, takes a lot of time, but uh, a pastor really does appreciate those who work hard at at the Sunday school and values the souls of the children and take it seriously. And, uh, you know, when we lose sleep, a lot of times we think about all the things that our young people have to face, all the temptations, all the attacks on their faith that they will have in their lifetime. And to know that, that you have people who are joyful and dedicated about teaching uh, these children is
2: is uh, a good... It helps the pastor sleep quite a bit at night. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how little biblical literacy is in the United States today. Yeah. And um, we should be worried for our children and we should take steps to educate them and make them wise unto salvation number
1: eight be mindful that your pastor has ordination vows nice I like it because uh, sometimes people don't realize that as a pastor carries out his his work that the Lord has given him to make he has made vows to be faithful to certain things such as the Word of
2: God right Um, the confessions uh, what else? To never, never divulge any sins, confess to him, which is a big deal now because there are. They, uh, I think, in Canada, they're seeking to pass laws that pastors have to uh, divulge what is confessed to them. Mm. So um, live a holy and godly life, right?
1: And sometimes, you know, you know, it's easy for for people to think, well, can't the pastor just fudge on this or fudge on that or you know smooth edges on some things when really uh, a pastor has ordination vows. I've actually likened it to to this. How many of you in the audience feel comfortable asking someone to break their marriage vows? Or fudge on it. Or fudge on it. Right. That's almost shocking to even think about. Well, the the, the ordination vows are equally serious, wouldn't you say? Right. Both are made before God. Both mm-hmm. are oaths. And so some of the things that this entails is, is uh, keeping a clear confession, what he preaches, how he handles certain situation, so situations. He really, remember, he has made vows. And, uh, you know, when I'm a part of an ordination, I actually, I think I actually did this for yours. If you remember, I printed out the entire ordination service. Yeah, I still have that it's sitting on my shelf. It's awesome. The reason why is I want people to be able to read those. Mm-hmm. And that may be a, something we can bring in another podcast sometime. It, is what are those ordination vows sound like what do they entail what is a pastor promising to do and how can the people in the pews the congregation the souls of christ support him in those ordination vows i think Mm -hmm. being mindful of those things is really helpful for a pastor and helps him do what sleep better at night sleep better at night number seven be supportive of his wife and family yeah that's a huge one you know part of that is ultimately making sure the the pastor's needs are met right you know uh I've a lot of pastors have left the ministry because they have trouble supporting their family right Mm -hmm. and and uh you know uh those type of worries are are real but uh but just generally supportive helpful pastors wives don't like to ask for help a lot of times right um and uh they have to when they are children of all they have to wrestle their children without the help of their husband at, at church and uh and you know uh, they signed up less to be a pastor's wife, and the pastor signed up to be a
2: pastor. If that right. makes sense, uh, they should also, you know, be friendly to them, talk with them, invite them out to stuff, because they like being with people.
1: And and they can feel my experience with a lot of the pastors' wives and vicars' wives over the years is is loneliness is a real thing for them. So mm-hmm. so uh, you know, the more a pastor's wife and family can can feel welcomed, a lot of that too is also. Realizing uh, your expectations for the pastor's wife. Sometimes those can be overblown. We expect the pastor's yeah, wife she's to She's not this.
2: Mrs. Pastor.
1: Right, right. Uh, I generally teach a vicar that uh, the most important word in pastor's wife is the word wife. And, right. And so, so that, I think that's a big one. If, if that happens, that will definitely help your pastor sleep well at night. Number six. When you need your pastor, let him know.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I got a reaction out of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, We didn't. You know, Vicar, this is something true. We don't get ESP when the hands are laid on us in ordination. So we can't read people's minds. People need to call us. They need to tell us if they're in the hospital or if their friends are in the hospital.
1: Right. Or or sometimes you are struggling with something the pastor said and he doesn't know. Um, The best thing is to talk to him. Uh, Ask him a question, clarify things. Um, A lot of times people are in in, in grave spiritual distress. And it may not be a time of surgery. It may not be a time where you're in the hospital. It may be something that has happened in your family that, you know, other people don't even know about. And you really need a pastor. Um, You know, you're not bothering the pastor. Uh, uh, Berg and I, I can say we are pastors because we want to be pastors. We want to do our job. And and I've lost sleep over the fact that people needed me and I didn't know it. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, that's what we're there for. You're not going to bother your pastor. Um, you know, you are a child of God and we care for you. So if you need us, if you need a prayer, if you need words of encouragement, um, we try to do our best to guess when that happens, but, but we a lot of times don't know. So please... Uh, when you need your pastor, let him know. What
2: do you think of the list so far? It's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm digging it.
1: And if you, By the way, if there's anything else you want to add, if you think there's something I missed at the end, feel free to fire away. But it's probably going to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, brings us to number five. Number five. Uphold the church's communion policy with your family and guests. Yes. Um, a lot of times it's, it's easy for people to pass the buck on that. And, you know, you bring someone family, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to let pastor, but, but I think a lot of times it comes better from, from their own
2: family member mm-hmm. and, Absolutely. and, uh, and if you can't defend it, talk to your pastor, he can give you plenty of resources. So that way you understand it better and can give good, faithful and loving answers to to the members of your family who are not yet in fellowship with you,
1: because you know from First Corinthians chapter eleven, you know how important it is to examine yourself before the the Lord receiving the Lord's supper, and the fact that ultimately, uh, Berg, we have to give an answer to God for these things. Absolutely, and uh, and uh, and so that we lose sleep over whether who you know takes communion and, and whether they should or not because because uh, it's, a, it's a serious thing, and we do have to answer to God for these things. So we do lose, lose sleep over that. So anything you can do, I want you to be able to bring your, your guests and your family that may not be of the same mind, but at the same time, uh, please help us with that, because a lot of times it does come much better from a family member.
2: And if you don't understand closed communion... Write into us on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and we'll answer it on Confound the Clerics or something along those lines too. So, number four, pray for him.
1: It's, yep. It seems kind of simple, but uh, and not just when he's sick. Not just when he's sick. And the reason why I say, I say that too is this might be a shock, but there's something I've experienced um, and I know very well that uh, your pastor is a sinner too. Shocker. Your pastor has his own spiritual struggles. Mm-hmm. Your pastor has his own hurts and, and all those things. And uh, and just like we pray for you, uh, we desire your prayers. I think another thing, too, is uh, uh, praying for your pastor helps you understand or helps you. How can I word this? Praying for your pastor develops your own attitude towards your pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're praying for your pastor, it becomes a lot harder to be upset with him. If you're really praying for his well-being, it, it uh, don't you think part of prayer when Jesus asks us to pray for enemies, that part of the change she desires in that prayer is the one who's
2: praying. Right. Now, like that country song where it says, I'll pray for you and I pray. And, you know, and the guy is praying that, you know, her brakes go out and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a curse. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's not praying for somebody. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, we should use our vicar app, but he's doing such a nice job coloring over there. I don't want to disturb him. <laughs> standing in the lions. <laughs> Number three. Don't be afraid to let your pastor know that you are a sinner.
2: Yeah. Um. Because we already know. Because God's word tells us so.
1: Would you... Sometimes it reminds me of... Uh, sometimes older folks... When they go to the doctor, they try and pretend that they're not sick because they don't want to have to take another medicine, <laughs> or they're afraid they might have to have another surgery. And so they go to the doctor thinking, "Well, I want to make sure the doctor knows just how healthy, healthy I am." am. And uh, sometimes we, t- you know, children that are taught, you know, behave because you know, pastors over there he might notice
2: that you're a sinner. But uh, if it weren't for sinners, we'd be out of a job, man. Yeah, which would be awesome, but uh, we're here because there's a need. Because people are sinners. And there's nothing that you can tell us uh, that's going to surprise us. That's true. There's no sin that you can come up with that we haven't experienced or that we haven't heard in God's word. That's right. And and uh, and if God doesn't remember your sins, then why should we when you confess them?
1: And I can honestly say that, that a pastor learns very easily to compartmentalize these things. You know, you know, when you talk to your pastor in a and uh, you come to him, for example, for private confession, absolution. That's not something that the pastor spends a lot of time dwelling on. When someone does, in that situation, that is not a reason why a pastor
2: loses sleep.
1: That's a reason why a pastor rejoices that the forgiveness of sins is brought to someone.
2: Absolutely. In fact, uh, the thing that we we don't feel any superiority in the confessional. I know I feel really humble and really compassionate Yeah, because you know you see yourself in these people. Mm -hmm. You see sinners who desire grace. Yeah. And they desire uh, to live a better life. They want to amend their lives. They want the forgiveness of sins. They want the certainty that they have a gracious God. Number two, go to Bible study. Yeah. I, I, I got to say, a lot of people show up to the Bible study, so I, I'm, you know, I wish there was always more, mm-hmm. but where I grew up, nobody went to Bible study, and I just can't imagine how my pastors growing up, how they even dealt with that.
1: Because you can teach some in, in a sermon, but the, in a Bible study, it's a completely different context. Right. And uh, you can dress things in a, in a much different way. You know, sometimes people ask the prize when we have a certain teaching. Well, I've never heard that before. Well, how are you supposed to know what it is if you actually didn't have an opportunity to be taught that?
2: You know, a sermon is only, what, about 15, 20 minutes? Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, they used to be 45 minutes to an hour. But, unfor- you know, well, this is why we have our attention, you know, right. our ADHD Bible study.
1: <laughs> Ten minutes, <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes is actually long for me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, I start thinking about all sorts of things because, like I said, pastors a sinner too. But, uh, but uh, it really is is helpful for a pastor to have uh, people in his Bible study, and it really helps him prepare for Bible study. It he kind of re reinvigorated to, to in his Bible study. We you know he's got a, a group of people there that, that are eager and, right. and and coming on a regular basis. And so, so going to Bible study certainly is a way that will do what make your pastor sleep better at night. That's right. And number 1 Go to church. Yep. Amen. Because do we worry about people who aren't there? Yes. And uh and uh you know we uh we love you and we care about you and we want you to receive the gifts that God has given. We want you, the faith that you have, to be strengthened and sustained and fed and uh, because we care about you. We don't want you there so that our numbers look better. We don't want you there because uh, it helps us feel good just that we're doing a good job, that people like us, that we're doing something right. We really want you there because we love you. We want We want you to be saved. We want you to be saved. And
2: so anything else to add to that? The only one I would add to would be the Sunday School VBS one, home devotions. Mm-hmm. That uh, this is something that I think we've lost in our in our uh, context is that fathers, as the head of the homes, should be leading home devotions. And if there is a household that doesn't have a dad for whatever reason, uh, the mom should lead them. Mm-hmm. And that the house should be the place where God's word is talked about, prayed about, and uh, spoken to one another
1: because uh, fathers you have a lot more influence your children than a pastor does absolutely and uh you don't have to be the perfect
2: spokesman but no. uh, you know even if you just read a few verses out of the bible even if you just go through the 10 commandments or the apostles creed or the lord's prayer just, you know, very, very simple things.
1: One thing I do for our confirmation kids in their sermon studies is I now have a question of of what point in the sermon did your, your father or your mother think was important? They kind of, that's another way to start is just to talk about the sermon. Right. Talk about what you heard. Um, because, uh, um, you know, people worry about communications with their children. How can I talk to my son or my daughter about this or that? Well, if you can talk about faith, And if you can talk about God's word, it gives you a wonderful place to
2: start in all of them. That's the
1: truth. So that is our top
2: 12. Nice. Now we're moving on to Berg's bodacious blasphemies. Peter, play the intro.
1: Berg's bodacious blasphemies is the part of the show where Berg seeks to sell you ancient damn
0: delusions by repackaging them for modern consumption. In short, Berg makes bad stuff sound bodacious. So the
2: bodacious blasphemy that I uh, came up with today is called iconoclasm, and it means the smashing of images or icons. And uh, it was about it happened about 1,300 years ago, and it was a movement that held the importance of destroying religious icons, images, and monuments, largely because of um, what most of the evangelical world today american evangelical world today considers to be the second commandment you shall not make for yourself a carved image or th- or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them so okay i'm i'm waiting with bated breath all right here we go <clears throat> do you hate having your picture taken Well, maybe you suppose that God hates to have his picture taken, too. Do things like crosses, altars, and pictures of Jesus give you the heebie-jeebies? Have you miscounted the commandments, making a correlation into another commandment? Do you think that pictures of Jesus make you a pagan? Do you hate things like beauty and aesthetics? If so, then iconoclasm just might be for you. Iconoclasm is an ancient heresy that, that lets you take a hammer to statues, a blowtorch to pictures of biblical scenes and people, and a brick to stained glass windows, and it generally lets you flush the noble and beautiful work of Christians from ages past down the drain. Iconoclasm lets you ignore the needs of the young and the simple. Rather than using art to teach them the Christian faith, whitewash that wall and let them fend for themselves." It doesn't matter that God told the Israelites to make the images of the cherubim on the ark in Exodus 25:18 or a bronze serpent in Numbers 21, 8-9. Ignore the Bible and smash, smash, smash. <laughs> Being an iconoclast lets you join the ranks of the Muslims, who also hate and despise the images of our Lord, and those who were influenced by the Muslims, like Emperor Leo III from Constantinople. You will also join those deformers from the Lutheran Reformation, Andreas Karlstadt, Holrick Zwingli, and John Calvin. You would also join many other American Christians who hate altars and stained glass and worship in entertainment centers, but still share and like ghost Jesus pictures with Donald Trump on Facebook and honor the cross, which is also an image. Or you can confess that Jesus is both man and God and that God, the second person of the Trinity, now has a human face and that our Lord can be pictured for our learning and for our edification.
1: Very good. I like how you uh, tied everything together with uh, with uh, modern thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting heresy that it's that it's that's come back around, and it's interesting because it's not just about the second commandment. Uh, really, what iconoclasts deny is the incarnation, hmm. when it comes down to it, because they say, well, God can't be pictured, therefore Jesus can't be pictured. Well, what they mean by that is that the divine nature can't be pictured because it's almighty and uh, God's a spirit; He's invisible, right? Um, illimitable and the like, right? Well, Jesus has two natures and He's one person, right? These two natures aren't mixed, but they're inseparable. And so, if you can't, if you can only portray Jesus' human nature, you know, as some of them might say, well, then what have you done? You've separated the human and the divine natures apart because now God, since the conception of Mary, has a human face. He has human hands. Mm-hmm. He was seen. He was touched and the like. And that's necessary for salvation because if God didn't die for our sins, if those two things can be separated out, uh, then we're in trouble. Right? Because, yeah. And I, I think, too, along along with what what you're saying about that is,
1: is— uh, because communication involves many different things. Right. You know, uh, communication is not just the words you say, it's how you say it. I'll I'll let uh give an example of uh Vicker's son. He's uh how old is he? The oldest? He's two. And uh there's a lot of things he doesn't understand about the sur- the service, right? Right. But uh he the things that he can understand is he understands that oh something special is going on. The pastor's wearing robes. This this is a special place. Look at the stained glass windows. Mm-hmm. Um, look at how how the candles are lit. How everything is dealt with reverence. That's why if you sometimes a, a little child will will think that the uh, the pastor is Jesus, right? Because because something so special is going on that the word is so important. People are standing up and sitting down. All those things and the images, the kind of image that, images that you're talking about, all uh, explain uh, the word of God in a real way that people can understand. Right. And so if you if you take that all out, um, and that, that also comes in the form of music, mm-hmm. a lot of times it, it comes in the form of, well, we like to, for the past to be really informal, to wear torn jeans and, and all those things so we can relate better to people. Because the image of all those holy things really bother us. We need to get that. Out. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that the same kind of thought that uh, this had, or am I adding to that?
2: Uh, a little bit, but um, that's how it's kind of mutated even further, because it's interesting that the Calvinists, who were kind of the forebears of modern-day American evangelicalism, they didn't have organs. They didn't have stained glass. They didn't have oh, I thought any long of that stuff. heart Because you don't have a heart. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but they would only be able to sing versifications of the Psalms. They had no hymns. People mm. couldn't write hymns because it wasn't from the Bible. So what did they do? They chucked everything. They chucked all of the beauty of the past, all of those things that were not against God's word, that actually flowed from the Bible. But because they couldn't uh, look at it uh, and say, well, this is the chapter and the verse, right? Yeah. And it was gone. But, you know, and if any Calvinists are listening to the show, please write in. We'd love to hear this. Yes. Um,
1: if, if you are uh, an iconoclast. An iconoclast, right? Please uh,
2: uh, fire back at us. We'd love to hear your opinion on that. Right. Well, and this is why we should actually deal with the biblical objection, right? Because most people get uh, swayed by that right away, right? The second, what they call the second commandment, right? That you shouldn't make any graven images, Okay, That was dealing with false gods, wasn't it? Right. It's actually a corollary to the first commandment, right? Mm-hmm. That it's, you shall have no other gods before me. What does this look like? Don't make idols, right? So, so probably a, a better way of,
1: of, of doing that is, let's say uh, someone says to you, Pastor, look at my brand new boat that I use every Sunday morning in the summer. Right. Look at how beautiful this, this is. That would be more of something that would violate the graven images than, right. than the, the actual beauty that portrays uh, the truth of God in a, in a beautiful way that, that
2: speaks the, the truth of God to the heart. Right. And that's the thing. We also forget about all those times in the Bible where God actually commands the making of graven images, like the bronze serpent in Numbers 21, 8 through 9, or the cherubim on the ark, Exodus 25 through eight, uh, 18, right? That God actually commanded those things, not to be worshipped, but... Uh, to typify, to give an, uh, a picture of who Jesus was.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it, and also the fact the fact that uh, where God met with his people in the temple mm-hmm. was a reflection of, of, of heaven. Right. They have the courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Mm-hmm. Much, and, and that's where God met his people. So uh, the tabernacle and the temple were were really a promise that God met with his people, and so it reflected
2: the beauty of, of heaven right? And uh, these people will also say, oh well, we're just trying to omit one of the commandments, okay? Well, the interesting thing is is that the Jews actually do the same thing that we do and they have for a long time. In fact, uh, there's a Hebrew manuscript from 850 to 950 ad. It's called Oriental 4445 and it actually uh, divides the commandments. Um, there's a paragraph for the first commandment: "You shall have no other gods." And it includes the stuff about graven images. Then the next paragraph is actually what we would consider the second commandment: "You shall not take the Lord, uh, the name of the Lord thy God, in vain." Okay. So it shows that this isn't anything new, right? That no one was trying to uh, omit anything, but that uh, uh, this commandment or this uh, commandment that most people think is the second commandment actually belongs under the first commandment you shall have no other gods
1: all right any other comments on this
2: uh also image uh worship right they say it's idolatry well if we bow to the altar or any of that kind of stuff right yeah well um all i have to say to that is do you remember that uh, kaepernick guy yes yeah who uh, wouldn't stand for the national anthem but took it a- took a knee mm-hmm. why was that so uh controversial
1: well, it was disrespectful.
2: To what? The song? I mean, they're just words.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? You know. I mean, he didn't like the music, right? Right. <laughs> now, the whole point is is that it was disrespectful to the United States. Right? Right? That the song is the anthem is uh a a picture of America, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it represents. It's the same thing when you stand and put your hand on your heart when you say the Pledge of Allegiance. Why do we treat the flag with respect? It's just a piece of cloth, right? Well, no, it is actually a symbol, uh, a a picture, uh, which represents stuff about our country, right? So it's the same sort of thing. Like, why do we show reverence to the altar? Well, because this is where Christ's body and blood has laid, Mm -hmm. right, in the Lord's Supper, for one reason, and that makes it holy. And the second reason is, is that uh, it reminds us of what Jesus did, right? Which is yep. why we show it proper respect. It's not worship. That is reserved for God alone. So so that brings us to our next
1: impaired concentration Bible study. Peter, play the intro.
0: Do you have impaired concentration? Then this is for you. It's the impaired concentration Bible study. One verse, one verse only.
1: Vicker, would you like to read for us Let's try out our Hey Vicar app. Would you like to read for us Obadiah 3? Oh, I'd love to. Now, 3? I thought there was just one chapter. There is one chapter. Verse 3. Oh, okay, okay. Right. My Bible Uh, app here, you know. I'm still figuring this out. Um, Okay, Obadiah 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you who live in the clefts of the rock In your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, "Who will bring me down to the ground"? Now I realize I I made a mistake last time. We were supposed to do one verse only. Yeah, I actually read two verses last time. Holy
2: buckets, man! Get get, ah, epic fail. (laughs) So, what do you have to say about this? Berg goes back to the the you know those who are proud will be humbled, and those who will those who are humble will be exalted. Right, Edom is very prideful, mm-hmm. and they, uh, they, they. Well, their idolatry that we talked about a little earlier is in the place where they live, in the clefts of the rocks, in the mountains, and um, uh, that's what they put their trust in. And God is going to destroy that trust.
1: And uh, ultimately, uh, it it reminds us that our trust should be in Him.
2: Right. It's like the reading for Ash Wednesday, where your heart is there your treasure will be also. Yep. Right? And their treasure was in uh, things that were not of the Lord. So. All right. I think that's good enough, don't you? Good enough for government work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. That brings us to news that bothers Berg. Peter, play the intro.
0: There's fake news. There's real news. Then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news that bothers Berg.
1: Okay. Oh, I feel like I'm opening a can of worms here. But you knew we were going to go here some, at some point. All right? This uh, article is written by uh, Ryan Warner. Warner, W-A-R-N-E-R. This comes from Colorado Public Radio News. You, are you avid listener to that? I am not. Okay. All right. You ready? Okay. I think this is going to bother you. I I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, the, the name of the article is, uh, This Denver Evangelical Lutheran Pastor is Calling for a Sexual Reformation. Uh... So in this... Uh, Wasn't it,
2: that what the 60s was all about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so... In this, uh, there is a now. I will have it's admitting that when we talk about Lutheran, there are different kinds of Lutheran, right? Yes. So, this is
2: definitely not the faithful type, I imagine.
1: So, so uh, it's a a pastor by the name of uh, Nadia bolz <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
2: apparently you're familiar uh, with that word. She is the worst. Ah, uh, grody. Um, Would you like to hear some quotes that she has about this? Uh, I I guess that's the podcast. Yeah. Yes. (laughs)
1: Um, That on this, this new Christian sexual ethic, she says, instead of it being a list of thou shalt nots, the things that you should avoid to know that you're good, I would steal a page from Martin Luther. He said, it's not just don't murder. It's that you should do your neighbors no harm. And you should be involved in aspects of their well-being and make sure they thrive in their lives. To him, it wasn't just the absence of harm; it was the presence of good.
2: She's such a legalist, like she's an ant. It's funny because I had a professor who always always say, "If you scratch uh, antinomian long enough, you find a legalist underneath." That's exactly what that is, because all she sees when she sees the commandments is the absence of harm, but not the good, the good.
1: and the the heart of, of of it is is the idea that uh, that uh, historic Christian sexual ethic is repressive; that it does more harm than it does good in her mind.
2: Right. Well, and what's your neighbor's good here? His salvation, his adhering to God's word. Uh, knowing what this woman is about, I would say not.
1: Well, part of the part of it is ultimately, um, is in the article. I, found, I find an absence of, of references to the word of God.
2: That doesn't, yeah, that doesn't surprise because, me. Because you got to remember, this chick is also a fake pastor. Well, she was a fake pastor of uh, of a church called um, All Sinners, All Sinners and Saints. I think it was in Colorado. All Saints and Sinners. And thank you, Vicar. Um, this was uh, uh, one of the flagships of like the Sodomite movement the uh, lg what everyone calls the lgbt but they should just we should just call them what they truly are sodomites so all right
1: <laughs> so uh so as uh, she's quick to point out that uh um the sexual misconduct of christians which is true but that you know you know we are all sinners
2: but that doesn't make the law wrong Right. and that doesn't mean that we relax even the least of these commandments. What does Jesus say about that? If we relax the least of these commandments, he's going to be least in the kingdom of God.
1: Right. And so and so uh, I think the answer is not a redefining a new sexual ethic. It goes back to the gospel. Mm-hmm. The answer is realizing, okay, we're sitters who need forgiveness. And when it comes to shame and guilt, what's our answer to shame and guilt? Is it saying, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, you know, we're we're a new generation now, or is it uh, have mercy on me, a sinner?
2: Mm-hmm. And that from that new life, then we see changes. We
1: because, see it, and if, because if you go down this route, if you can apply this to all sorts of other commandments. Right. You know, since we're, we're playing all the hits today, we could talk about abortion.
2: Right. You Why know, not?
1: Where, where how, how to say that... Uh, that uh abortion is murder you're you're all of a sudden you're against women that's a, a a sexual ethic
2: that's oppressive we are told to women or euthanasia right well we just you know these old people are suffering so much that we just can't but kill them or they're a burden to society yeah well who decides that
1: god but, but what it what it does is ultimately when you you take that out of the word of god then you also take out the gospel Indeed, you you take out the need for forgiveness and and grace and mercy, and uh, you know it's it's really you know you, you think of what happened in the Old Testament and how it's really no different than how the Israelites went down the same path in many different ways. Right. It's and uh, the answer is not in in redefining these ethics. It's really uh, we keep on making things worse and worse and worse. And we have to come up with new ways to fix it when really it's the same old thing. It's sin and forgiveness. Jesus died for our sin, and he, we, to simply say our sinful desires um, uh, need to be validated, and that's who we are, is, is not true. We're defined by Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. Put the old man to death.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, when it comes to all these things, to simply avoid it and say, well, this is the, the law is causing us trouble—
2: that's just avoiding the truth of God's word, and then it's avoiding. Well, and that's like avoiding the doctor who cuts out your tumor because the knife hurts. Yeah, I mean you. That's that's ridiculous, right? The knife is going to hurt. It hurts so that it can heal. And that's, and, that's and, the and purpose of the law. And the whole
1: idea that uh, these sexual ethics that of uh, the historic Christianity that it is it hurts. Well, what what's hurting? Our families, when when
2: children don't have both parents at home, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's hurting? Uh, what's hurting all these young women who have uh, anxiety and body issues? What's hurting all these young men who uh, need uh, desire to love women and yet have been taught um, a sort of dominance and lust, you know, and have exchanged love for lust? Yeah. Ultimately, it's sin. Sin has done these things. And and to, to say this, we're not saying. You know that uh,
1: that uh, obviously we all admit that we are all sinful and we're all sinners when it comes to sexuality. Every last one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the answer is changing the sexual ethic. No, it's not moving the boundaries. It's it's realizing that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we we need forgiveness. hmm So amen. The wonderful podcast. Not not so many jokes today. That's all right. I'll I'll uh I'll I'll be uh maybe my next top twelve list will be uh,
2: a little more jokey,
1: a little more lighthearted, nice. or maybe not. But
2: I thought it was a good show, though. No,
1: absolutely, it was a lot of fun. So, thank you for listening. Guess what? It's time for our sticky notes. notes. Because our uh, podcast today was a little more serious, we didn't quite have the free flowing jokes today. We thought we would add add a little levity by having some of our outtakes uh, as our sticky notes today. And uh, just to let you know. Really, at the beginning, we wanted this to be a lighthearted thing where we, we don't take ourselves so seriously, um, because that's, I think that's important for all of us to do. So, so uh, here are our sticky notes. <laughs> all right, we're ready? We're rolling. All right, imagine the music going. Welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. Sit down and enjoy a beverage and join us as we... What do we do, Vigor? <laughs> <Start over. laughs> I screwed up already. <laughs> oh. Holy buckets. <laughs> I lost focus. All right. Big shout-out to Peter for getting us the clericalerrors.org. That's a big get.
2: Yeah, it's pretty awesome.
1: I mean, that's pretty legit.
2: Indeed. Man, the production value would really <laughs> stink without Peter.
1: <laughs> so if you're listening and you need someone to edit your podcast... <coughs> Um, you won't get the same probably well, uh, y- discount. Don't, don't ask know. him. He's ours. That's right. Yeah, forget about it, man. Get your own Peter. Holy buckets. That's some good
2: stuff.
1: You know, you can have some, Vicar, if you want. Yeah, I didn't bring you a cup, but... You can drink out of the can. No, I've got, I got a cup in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I, I'm a, by the way, uh, if you hear me say that's right, I noticed the lot one of the podcasts, I said that's right, that's right a lot. I need to stop doing that.
2: Mhm.
1: Okay. I need to be more sure. Okay. All right.
2: Because when it yeah, it's like I had surgery when I broke my leg in high school and uh, they had to do surgery and stuff and when it was all healing up, I could poke my leg, didn't feel a thing mm-hmm. because of all the scar tissue. And now I can I can touch it and it feel, you know, I can feel the nerves and stuff.
1: Does, does your broken leg have an epic story to it?
2: Uh oh, I was wrestling in the Walnut Grove tournament and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um I uh I was I I almost beat this guy and uh, uh he went one way and I went the other and I just felt this pop. Uh-huh. And it my leg went numb and so I shouted for the match to be over and uh yeah I tore all my ligaments and all that good stuff. So <laughs> oh. was it like bent a different way you're like looking at it and uh no but when I went to the doctor on Monday because the emergency room guy uh, said, "Oh yeah, you'll be wrestling again in four to six weeks." I turned to my dad and I said, "There's no <laughs> way." <laughs> and so I went to I went to the Rubs uh, some dirt on it <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I went to the uh, uh, I went to the doctor and he began to fiddle with my leg and he's like, "Well, does that hurt?" And I said, "No." And he's like, "Well, those are the bones moving around inside. We need to get you into surgery soon." <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's been
1: a wonderful show, Berg. Did you have a good time?
2: I had a great time.
1: Uh, we'll see you next time. This has been Clerical Errors. I'm Pastor Bullhagen.
2: And I'm Pastor Berg.
1: Thanks for listening to Clerical Errors.
0: Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Clerical Podcast. Money we receive is invested back into the podcast and the surplus donated to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clerical heirs podcast on Twitter at clerical heirs P for podcasts or email us at feedback at clerical There you can also find links to the things we talked about. Thanks for listening to clerical heirs. See you next time. And done.